0: and welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a queer and gender-affirming parenting and education podcast. I am your host, Linz Amer, and today I am talking to Shane Diamond of the Changing the Game documentary and Ann Lieberman from the organization Athlete Ally, and we are chatting about trans kids and gender in sports. We talk about everything from the anti-trans legislation that's specifically targeting trans kids in sports right now. We also talk about gender generally in sports from early childhood, all the way up through professional spaces in college and high school spaces, sports spaces. So we're going to cover a lot of ground in this episode and a lot of very pertinent and important ground and topics to understand right now and how this is not just an issue about queer, trans, and non-binary kids. This has to do with All kids and all people who like to move their bodies. This goes all the way down to after school sports, phys ed classes, and everything in between. We will get to that incredible conversation in just a moment, Before we get there, thank you all so, so much for listening to this podcast every week. I've been so, so enjoying bringing these conversations to all of you and building community in social justice, early childhood education and parenting and talking about that through a queer and trans lens. This project has been incredibly fulfilling for me in a lot of ways and ticks off so many checkboxes on our values list. And I'm I'm so, so grateful to all the people who've come onto the podcast so far, all the conversations you're going to hear in upcoming weeks, and for Shane and Anne for holding space with me about this really, really important topic today. If you are so inclined and want to help us spread the word about this podcast and the show and our work, I would love if you could think of one, two, maybe three or more people who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations we're having. Maybe you really resonate with what we're talking about in this episode. Maybe there's a past episode you really, really loved. I would so appreciate if you went just that little extra step and took one of those episodes that you love and share it with some of the people in your community to help spread the word about what we're doing here. This kind of work spreads best by word of mouth and through recommendation. And it is so, so important to spread the word about What we're doing here and get more people on board and into our community so that we can keep making future seasons of this show. I really loved it and I would like to continue to do it. And we are still really at the beginning of this journey looking for our audience and building our community and growing this show. So if you have just a moment, think about a couple of people who you might want to send an episode to or talk to about the show and share it with them and let them know why you're enjoying listening. All right, before we get to our conversation with Shane and Anne, all about trans kids and gender and sports, here's what you need to know. In this episode, we're starting to get into actual trans kids and the issues that are facing them right now in our political climate. And as we're getting into that, I want to take a moment to talk about the questions that I'm starting to see arise around kids who are identifying as queer and trans and non-binary at younger ages, and why that seems to be a phenomenon that's happening right now. Because it's it's true, there are a lot more kids these days who are coming out as queer and trans, and non-binary at younger and younger ages. There are studies and surveys that show the data behind this, including a Gallup study from this year, 2022, that said that 20% of the Generation Z surveyed identify as LGBT, which is huge. That's that's a really big number and a big increase from what they're saying they found the millennials, which was 10.5%. Generation X is 4.2%. Baby boomers is 2.6%. And people born before 1946 is 0.8%. So we're seeing this trend across the LGBT community and transness is a huge part of that. And what I want to point out is that this is not happening because we're seeing an increase in LGBT people, LGBTQ plus people. It's happening because there's an increased exposure to these identities. And over the past decade or so, there has been a decrease in stigma around these identities. So more and more people and more and more young people have the information about LGBTQ plus identities sooner in their lives, and they're being introduced with less and less stigma. And when you think about the fact, and and this is, I, I bring this up in the conversation with Shane and Anne, this is a fun fact that I love to pull out of my back pocket whenever I can, that the American Academy of Pediatrics has found that most kids have a solid understanding of their gender identity by the age of four. So if you look at how this all correlates, right? So you look at that fact from the American Academy of Pediatrics and look at kids as young as even four starting to understand and have a solid understanding of their gender identity, whether they're cis or trans or non-binary. And then you also look at this increase in information and access to information and exposure to information around LGBTQ plus identities and the decrease in stigma around them. We can look at all those things Coming together around Gen Z and alpha generations, I think it's completely plausible and understandable to see why those percentages are going up. An interesting corollary to this is left handedness. If you look at charts that measure The amount of people who identify as lefties or as left handed people, you'll see a similar rise in the percentage of people who are lefties by generation. That rise in percentage of lefties and left handed people didn't happen because there magically started being more lefties born in the world. It happened because the stigma around left handedness went away. Older generations, particularly in America, were forced to be right handed for a long time. But when that stigma went away, and lefties started being able to live their best left-handed lives, people started, I guess, being more openly left-handed. So it's not that there are more left-handed people, it's that those left-handed people are able to be left-handed out in the world and self-identify as left-handed. Anecdotally, my mom is left-handed and my grandmother is ambidextrous. She was of the generation where there was a stigma around left-handedness. And so she was forced to be right-handed when she was a child, but was probably actually naturally a lefty. And so now in her later years, she is ambidextrous because she worked the muscles in her right hand that was her naturally non-dominant hand. But she's also now able to use her left-handed more predominantly because it's not not stigmatized anymore. So if anyone ever asks you why so many kids these days are identifying as trans and queer and non-binary, just tell them about lefties. All right, that's enough from me talking. We're going to get right into our conversation with Shane and Anne all about queer and trans kids in sports and gender in sports. So let's get to it. hello friends I am here today with two guests oh my goodness I am here with Shane Diamond and Ann Lieberman and I am super super excited to talk to them about trans kids and sports hello hello whoa, whoa. hello hello um we like to start off by coming to this podcast as full humans so how how are you both doing today? <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the answer sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's been
1: quite I wanna say weak, but more like series of years. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I'm excited to be here today and, and get to talk about not only the tough stuff that's happening, but also the exciting stuff and the fun stuff we can do to support trans and non-binary kiddos. So that feels nice. I feel excited to be here and to be here with my wonderful partner.
0: Yes, hello, that's Shane. Me. How are you doing?
2: Hi. <laughs> my answer recently has been, I'm not on fire. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I could be on fire, that would be unfortunate. But I'm not on fire, so it's let's celebrate today.
0: I think that's an excellent bare minimum. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, I'm good. I'm tired. Um, But I'm tired because I have been busy coordinating speaking engagements Mm. for changing the game, which is amazing that so many people want to have conversations like the one we're having today. So I am tired, but it is tired for the most wonderful reasons.
0: Fantastic. And we're going to get into all of that. But before we do that, let's just real quick introduce ourselves. Could each of you tell me your pronouns and how you identify? Uh, my name is Shane Diamond.
2: Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a queer trans man who bakes mostly edible bread.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Anne Lieberman. I use they, them pronouns. I identify as trans non-binary, also as queer, and as a Muay Thai fighter and coach, as a dog lover, as a sweets aficionado maybe I should say cake aficionado. That's more, I think that's more specific. (laughs) Shane, you all can't see. Uh, Listeners, (laughs) I hope Shane is making a face because Shane knows I love sugar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And you both are full humans outside of your work, but we are here to discuss your work because your work is awesome. So what do y'all do? I produce the impact campaign for
2: a documentary on Hulu uh, called Changing the Game that follows three transgender high school student athletes as they fight to compete as their respective selves in their sports. And the story was filmed in 2015, 2016. It follows Mac Beggs, Sarah Rose Huckman, Andrea Yearwood, and Terry Miller. And we see, you know, like we're riding shotgun with them as they just try to be high school kids who participate in sports and face a lot of backlash Um, The film premiered in 2019 at Tribeca and in June of 2021, so 11 months ago, uh, it premiered on Hulu as an original documentary. And so my role with the film is to spark conversations about what people can do. For a lot of viewers and audience members, this might be the first time they've met a trans person or seen a trans person that they know of. And we watch these kids have more strength than I can muster what we're left with is feeling inspired and like we want to do something and change something. And so um, that's where I come in. I'm the educational curriculum guy. I'm the let's talk about your feelings guy. And then I'm the let's come up with action steps guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do that. I do consulting for businesses to help put policies and culture uh, in place to support trans employees. Uh, And also, if you're a sports team, do your trans fans feel comfortable showing up? Um, Mm -hmm. And that is um, a little bit where my work overlaps but ends.
1: Yeah. And what do you do? Yes.
2: What do I do?
1: So I work for Athlete Ally, which is a nonprofit organization that works to dismantle the structures of oppression that isolate, exclude, and endanger LGBTQI plus people in sport. And we do that work in four primary ways. So the first is through education. How do we make sure that teams, leagues, athletes, sport governing bodies all have good education on how. How to build inclusive environments for all athletes. The second big area of our work is research. How do we build a strong credible body of evidence around the lived experiences of LGBTQI+ athletes and how do we understand the policies that govern sport? Our flagship piece of research is the Athletic Equality Index, which ranks and reports the LGBTQI+ inclusiveness or lack thereof of every single Division 1 institution in The US. Yes, it's an incredible undertaking um, in moving to all NCAA schools, hopefully in the next few years. The next big bucket of our work is sport policy advocacy. How do we ensure that the policies governing sport actually represent the diversity of people playing sport?
0: Mm.
1: And then finally, our work on athlete activism. We feel so strongly as an organization that athletes should never be told just to quote, shut up and dribble that athletes have and always will be tremendous powers for social change in this country and beyond. And so we have uh, an athlete ambassador program of over 400 pro Olympic and Paralympic athletes across a wide variety of sports. And we have student athlete led college chapters all around the country in over 40 colleges and universities now. So that is our work and it keeps our small but mighty and growing team very, very busy.
0: Thank you so much, both of you for sharing that. I think you're doing incredible hard but also super rewarding work. I think that we're going to see the fruits of your labor in the years to come. And I'm I'm really, really excited to see all of that. So you all are doing amazing work in, you were talking about the college level and the professional leagues. You're also talking about high schoolers. But why are we talking about this in an early childhood podcast? Can we talk about the little kiddos and what's happening in those spaces? Because I think that sports are really really important part of young people's lives and I would I would love to know what's what's going on. Yeah, so
1: I'm happy to start. So sports are so fundamental for youth development. Mm-hmm. We know so many different pieces of research that say that. We also know our lived experience says that as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's so, so important for young people to have access to sport for physical fitness, for emotional support, to connect with communities, to build friendships, to develop leadership skills. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the unfortunate and quite frankly, harrowing reality of what's happening right now is that kids across the country are being banned from playing sports with their friends because. Long lawmakers have decided that trans youth and their identities should be politicized and that they are a threat, which, of course, we know that none of that is true. And so what the context looks like right now in terms of legislation that has been passed since 2020, we've seen 16 states enact legislation banning trans youth from playing sports with their friends. And this gets a little bit confusing because originally folks who were making policies were not lawmakers. They were people, for example, who worked at state high school athletic associations. And so there's a lot of confusion on how to navigate these different policies if you're a trans kiddo and you want to participate in school sports.
0: Mm. Before we start kind of digging deeper into that, I would love to kind of debunk a couple of things because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around trans people in general, not just youth and sports. And I think there's a particular conversation to be had around early childhood as well, because some of the... Digmas like don't apply in the same way, which I think is like maybe a little confusing to think through. Because I think, uh, and let me know if I'm wrong about this, but I'm sure a lot of the questions you get are around like, what are the effects of like estrogen and testosterone on sports and, and trans people participating in sports. But when we're talking about early childhood and elementary school, these are kids who haven't gone through puberty yet. So what is that conversation how's that coming up and like how are how are you kind of like dealing with that cuz we would be talking about hormone blockers right kids would be on hormone blockers who are this age competing so i'm it's confusing right it
2: is and i think i tend to be the person that that will zoom us out a little bit a lot of conversations right now are uh, mirroring the ones we're having Uh, in this moment, which is how does this work? Who takes what? How does it affect like what person's body? And we're talking about giving kids an opportunity to run around with their friends. Mm -hmm. You know, at that age, I, I started playing sports when I was, my parents put me in ski boots when I was like three, I could barely stand. I've been on hockey skates since I was like four or five. I played youth soccer starting at six. And in those moments, My parents weren't like hoping that I would play professional sports. They wanted me to run around and get some energy out. So I would take a nap. They wanted me to make friends, to learn from people who are different than me, to laugh and play and let go. And we know, you know, as adults, nobody loves a spin class. Like it's no one's favorite thing to do. But it's 45 minutes where you don't have to worry about the grocery list or your unread emails Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's a real true break from what's going on. So I just, you know, Anne can talk a little bit about the the hormonal piece. But when we're talking, especially about young kids, we're we're really talking about giving kids the opportunity to play. I do presentations about uh, gender 101 and like trans 101. Mm -hmm. And I often show baby photos of me and um, a lot of trans people won't do this. And a lot of trans people have trauma in their past, have unhealthy relationships uh, or unsafe relationships with people from their past. You know, this is why it's typically uncouth to ask a trans person what their name was before they transitioned. But I love showing these baby photos and I make the choice to do so, because what you'll see is that I have always been a little boy. And so some of the conversation as we talk about hormones is like, well, what if they regret it? It's too soon to tell. Like how do they really know? and And actually, what we are seeing, and this is not just from like a Shane anecdotal, but that kids really know who they are from a much younger age than we give them credit. Mm-hmm. And if people had listened to me when I was, you know, in these like kiddo photos, my life might look a lot differently than it does today because I may have started my transition at least socially at a much younger age.
0: Oh, absolutely. The, the, Fact that I love to pull out of my back pocket, like <laughs> almost all the time, is that the American Academy of Pediatrics has actually found that most kids have a solid understanding of their gender identity by the age of four. And I actually have a similar experience to you, Shane. I actually really love a lot of my childhood photos because I think it's when I was my most authentic self. And I think like to this conversation, like I loved soccer when I was a kid. I loved me a ham. I like watched those Olympics. Like I thought I was going to be a soccer star and then like I turned into a theater major (laughs) but and I couldn't play sports because of like the rehearsals and stuff and like I have like some like actual like grown-up regret around like not continuing to like play soccer as like an adult and having to like recalibrate my relationship with exercise and movement in in a really meaningful way. So that's like a journey that I've been on. But I also just like think like with what's happening right now is like when I was a kid playing soccer and like if I had known and had the language for my transness then and someone told me that like just because of that I couldn't play in like the Downtown United Soccer League that I was in, like how traumatized that would have been for me as a kid.
1: But, you know, hearing that just also makes me think of this conversation around fairness and what fairness mm. means, right? We all care about fairness and ensuring a level playing field in sports. And fairness also means allowing all kids, the same opportunities. And these conversations around hormones and and bodies are often very invasive and very unhelpful to the reality of really what's happening, which is that trans youth undergoing hormone therapy are doing so as part of Medical treatment under the supervision of a physician. And they should be allowed to participate in sports just like any other kid who is being prescribed medicine by their doctor for any other thing that's going on. A lot of these conversations are rooted in intense discomfort, intense misunderstanding. And really, what we need to be doing is having conversations on a personal level and seeing all kids for their humanity and their desire to be kids. I remember I was testifying in Texas and one of my teammates from Muay Thai. So I'm also a Muay Thai fighter and coach, somebody who I have known over a decade now, probably, you know, she came to testify and I know that she's met a lot of adult trans people, you know, Shane and I are in her life. I don't know that she'd ever met any trans kids and to see her interacting with so many of the kids who are coming to testify and then simultaneously being so deeply upset and just basically saying to me, I don't understand how these lawmakers can sit up here listen to these wonderful little kids and still make laws that are directly going to harm them. And she was like, you know, looking at this little girl, how can you not see her as anything but a little girl? You know, she's crying. And it's that connection when you understand that this is about real people and this is about kids who are just wanting to be included and in wanting to play sports with their friends.
0: Yeah. it's it, And I think it comes down to that just like the simplicity of that, of like, this is a kid who just like wants to join like their friend's soccer team. And like talking about trans kids isn't some like nebulous idea of like, ooh, trans kids. Like these are like real children.
1: They're they're real children. And also in so many of these states where lawmakers have proposed laws, they can't even find examples of trans kids who are playing sports mm-hmm. or there's one or two kids Uh, There's an example from, you know, the Michigan State High School Athletic Association that um, had said that the number of trans kids they had had over, I don't want to get the stat wrong, but over maybe a five-year period was... Like five kids out of almost a million kids who had participated in, in high school sports. It, it's really it has become a solution in search of a problem and and weaponizing kids and the identity of of kids to serve a political purpose. and And I think that this conversation has become political, but it's pretty apolitical to want kids to play sports.
0: I think so, too. And I, I'm really curious about practically on the ground and like how how is this affecting like after school sports?
2: I personally don't have any stats about that. I don't know that anyone's collecting them. Mm. What we are seeing, and mentioned, you said there are 16 states now that have mm. banned trans youth from participating in sports with their friends. In those 16 states, but all over the country, we are seeing that the negative effects on trans youth that this political wave is having mm. so even for trans youth who don't live in states with athlete bans seeing this in the news and hearing their identities being debated and criticized and their inherent personhood like not being believed is having drastic mental health effects yeah on youth all over the country. There was actually a study from the Center for American Progress that showed that schools that have policies that allow trans kids to participate um, actually have more participation in sports from Hmm. girls and women.
0: Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And like, there's something to also like, I'm sure you all talk about this all the time of like, the general like gender segregation in sports and like, what, like, Transness has to do with that. Like, what what do you imagine like sports beyond gender, especially for, like for school age kids? What does that like look like to you all? I think that is a conversation that we could have for oh, another few hours, for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the reality is is that more and more kids are coming out as gender diverse, as non binary, and those kids want to play sports, and we all need to have better answers to how that happens. Mm. And there aren't good answers right now. And I also say that as a non-binary person and who has to cho- literally has to choose a gender category in my sport.
0: Uh, I feel you on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think there are some policies, inclusive policies at, you know, middle school levels that allow kind of fluidity in, in sports participation. But I mm. think we need to start talking about, okay, for some context, what does mixed gender teams look like? And how do we ensure that mixed gender teams are safe for all athletes? Because Mm. there's also conversation about the way in which gender is socialized and what that looks like. So I did a webinar a few years ago for folks who worked at YMCAs across the country. And they were saying that they really wanted to desegregate some of the the youth sports up to a certain age but they were having a lot of trouble with some of the boys who were acting in particular, very gendered ways and not passing to the girls. And, you know, so things that are more about how toxic masculinity is socialized in the sports space Mm. and not even about gender identity specifically. So it's, it's also a conversation about how do we make sports culture as a whole more Mm. inclusive and more welcoming and really make sure that young women and girls have all of the opportunities in the space that they need and should have access to, to thrive.
0: And I think a lot of that starts in like P.E. class and like really rethinking like how we educate around movement and sports. Right. Absolutely.
2: Listeners at home, you couldn't see me just fall off the screen (laughs) Um, when when we were talking about the way that uh, gender is taught and socialized. I grew up. I was the only girl on the boys hockey team for a long time on the one hand. I played with people, mostly guys um, who wouldn't pass to me, who um, wouldn't talk to me in the locker room, who didn't welcome me into the fold. And I also played with guys who had my back without question. And when the other team would go after me, because I played full contact boys hockey and I'm five, seven, and I was like kind of middle of the pack uh, size wise. I didn't play with a kid who was six, seven. Um, and he would just like place me into the boards. Um, so, so I had, you know, like situations where guys wouldn't pass to me or make comments about my gender. And then I played with guys who would go after those guys who would stand up for me, who had my back, who saw me as just another player. You know, I think having been in men's locker rooms, specifically in helmet Mm -hmm. sports, I think you're absolutely right. That a lot of this has to come from the top down and from the coaches and the parents and what are we teaching about gender and masculinity and you know it's in a locker room it doesn't count rhetoric needs to go mm-hmm. um but even links to your point about phys ed classes when we're looking at little kids and you're like trying to organize children how do you split up the kids boys on this side girls on the other mm-hmm. and so it's not only the way that kids are able to interact physically But it's how we look at and categorize and group groups of people. And so if we're going to let kids do whatever they're going to do in gym class, it needs to start with letting kids be whoever they're going to be in the classrooms and, and, of course, outside of the classrooms as well.
0: Yeah. And like looking at like gender neutral collective nouns and like figuring out how different creative ways for teachers to split up kids into groups is like one of the very first pieces of advice I give to teachers, especially in elementary school and pre-K of like, this is a way you can like make your classroom a lot more inclusive. So that's something that I talk about a lot for sure. And like gym class, PE class is like not exempt from that in any way. Like PE educators, gym educators should absolutely be in all of these inclusion conversations. And I think what's really interesting that's coming up here is that like talking about trans kids in sports is actually bringing up like a full reckoning around gender in sports in its entirety. So like, we're talking about trans kids in sports, but like, that in the same adjacent conversation as like equal pay on like the women's soccer league, which like literally just happened today because we're recording on May 19th of 2022.
1: I'm really happy that you brought this up because when we talk about gender equity, gender parity, equal pay, I mean, this conversation around trans kids and non-binary kids being excluded from sport is a distraction from the actual issues that face women and girls in sport and have faced women and girls in sport for decades. Mm-hmm. And there are organizations like the Women's Sports Foundation, the Tucker Center, the National Women's Law Center, so many amazing women's organizations that have been on the forefront of these battles who have produced incredible research that outline what the major challenges are facing women and girls and they are things like equal pay sexual harassment and assault in sports lack of women in leadership pipelines for coaching for top jobs in leagues at front offices. There are so many different issues and and real concerns that we should be putting our time, our attention, our energy toward, and that's not happening. And or it's, that's not true. It's happening with these organizations and in many important ways. But I'm talking specifically about the legislative context. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. And so as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year, mm-hmm. we need to be asking those tough questions. Is the promise of Title IX realized or not? Because it, we've seen tremendous progress, but there are also significant barriers and those barriers have absolutely nothing to do with trans athletes.
0: Yeah, and I also think that like even if you don't have a trans kid and like this legislation is affecting your kid and and affecting their ability to participate in sports, like this isn't just about trans kids. This is about every kid. And I and I talk about that with like a lot of different things. Like cis people need to also reckon with their gender identity and like these topics aren't niche. These aren't you know, community specific topics, like we're not preaching to the choir here, right? Like this is all about talking to everyone about this and like making sure that everyone is included in in this conversation and siloing it as a trans issue is missing the point.
2: And I'm so grateful you said that because that's also what's going to happen with these policies, Mm. Anyone who doesn't fit or conform to white Western standards of femininity is open to having their womanhood, personhood questioned, especially if that person is like even a little bit successful as an athlete. And so what's happening with a lot of these bills is they are focusing on invasive genital exams for children to see if someone is trans or cis. And that is, of course, going to be triggered when someone is a good athlete and when that good athlete isn't like a pretty white girl, because this is systemic white supremacy in real time and misogyny in real time, that this is absolutely going to affect more than just trans kids. It's going to affect every kid because it's going to open the doors uh, for this gross invasion of privacy for every kid not just trans kids. So you're right, like all parents should be concerned about these laws because it, they're not just going to affect trans kids. I don't even have kids and you can see how animated I'm getting about this. Um so you know I, I appreciate that you sort of planted that seed for us to open the door to say that these conversations about gender identity uh especially with kids affect everyone not just Um, As Anne was saying, the small percentage of trans kids who are now uh, really under the microscope and and being used for these horrible political moves.
0: Yeah, I also think that what you're talking about, especially with the uh, medical examinations you, you mentioned, like that's putting young kids in like, potential harms way for sexual abuse. Like, I mean, look at USA Gymnastics and the Larry Nassar case. Like that's literally what was happening.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And they didn't even have like the green light necessarily
0: to do that. Yeah. And making sports safer for trans kids is abuse prevention too. And I think a, a lot of <laughs> this comes up with a lot of people I talk to about trans kids as well and um and talking to kids about gender and sexuality. Um before we get into kind of our next segment, um I just want to like Get a quick like if you all have a working theory on like why they're targeting sports. I know it's a quick question,
1: right? I was, I, no, I was gonna say I have more than I have more than a theory. I'm sure I want
0: to phone
2: a friend. <laughs> i phone <want> a friend. <laughs> um,
1: so I think there's a few different things at play that are happening right now. So I think the first is, and this is not unique to the conversation around LGBTQI plus rights, but mm-hmm. anytime any minority group is successful in obtaining rights, obtaining some kind of visibility that shows that we are human, that puts us in a different position where we now are becoming full human beings in the eyes of society and the law, Mm -hmm. even though we we knew ourselves already that we were human, um, that there is a significant amount of fear and backlash that then ensues. So I think a lot of this fear and backlash Specifically targeting the LGBTQI plus community began in the U.S. I'm talking very recently. <laughs> uh, began in the U.S. with with marriage equality. Shortly after, we saw the first instances of bathroom bills around the country. So mm-hmm. bills prohibiting trans people from using the restrooms that align with our gender identity. We were able to defeat those bathroom bills pretty handily, and there became a need for a strategy shift because that rhetoric was no longer working. We are now seeing this move into sports because it is a very clear way to divide some of traditionally really strong supporters of the LGBTQI plus community, which have been cis heterosexual women and cis queer women, because there are some cis queer women as well who do not feel comfortable with trans- inclusion in sports and to really prey upon those divides and to frame this as a, we are just protecting women's sports issue. When these same folks who want to protect women's sports have done nothing, you know, to the previous conversation, done nothing around title nine, nothing to end sexual violence against women and girls in sports, et cetera. And so this has been a very clearly articulated wedge issue um, mm. that has been manufactured. And you know Politico has written about this. There've been some really uh, long form pieces that go into this in much more detail. But what we are seeing now is a national attack that is fueled and funded by organizations, not at the grassroots level, but at the grass tops that are handing legislation to lawmakers And saying, please introduce this. And so we are seeing copycat legislation in states. We are seeing, I'm trying to say pedal to the metal, essentially, in (laughs) in an election year, which is also why many of these, Uh, these bans are passing. And the last piece I'll say on this is when we think about this being a coordinated strategy, I will give you an example of what we have seen at the state level, which is... When I've gone to testify against some of these bills and had some really fantastic athletes with me to testify against those bills as well, some of the lawmakers who are introducing the bills don't even know or understand the context of their own bills. And so that is also an indication that this is not something that has been a pet project or an issue of that particular lawmaker, that it has been something that they've been asked to introduce or something. So again, it's a very crafted strategy meant to divide and target kids.
0: Thank you for taking us behind the curtain on that a little bit. I really appreciate it. Oh, gosh. There's so much to unpack with all of this. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did want to just recommend um, you all do incredible work, obviously. But if there's any, um, if anyone wants to check out some journalism on this, I love following um, Frankie de la Creta. They do fantastic um, journalistic work on this topic. Um, Some
2: other writers that we love who are doing some really amazing coverage. We love Katie Barnes at ESPN. Um, They are one of our favorites. We love Julie Klagman at Sports Illustrated.
1: I know
0: there are more folks, but we love Katie and Julie. Cool. Awesome. Yes, definitely. We will link to those in the show notes. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break um, and then we'll be right back with a listener question. We are back with Ann Lieberman and Shane Diamond talking about trans kids and sports. And we're gonna answer a listener question. Y'all ready? We, we are... are ready. <laughs> All right. So this listener is asking. My child loves their soccer team that they play after school. And they just came out to me as trans very recently. I am nervous about figuring out how to help them come out to their soccer team and continue in their sport. Do you have any advice for me?
1: This is a great question and we love supportive parents. So I think the first thing To understand from your kiddo, is do they want to be out to anybody else? Because they might not want to be out to anybody else. They might not be ready. They also might not understand what that means. So, depending on how old they are, you know, I think it's also important to ask them for what they need, but also to say, okay, so if we tell other folks, like, here's what this could look like. Um, I also think if Your kiddo wants to come out to the team. It's a good conversation to first have with the coach uh, because depending on where you are, the coach might not understand or feel equipped to support your kiddo. So it's also about building a ring of supportive adults (laughs) around your kiddo to then make that conversation a little bit easier with the team. I think the one thing I've seen with my little nibblings is kids today are much more evolved about conversations around gender. And so it's Mm -hmm. it most likely really depending on where you are, but most likely will be a non-starter for the kids. It's about the conversations with the adults.
2: Yeah, I
0: totally
1: agree.
2: That's wonderful. And the only thing I would add to that is how wonderful that A, you've got a trans kiddo and B, that that kiddo trusts you to share this with you. And I think And uh, advice about gearing them up for sports is so, so helpful and getting other adults on their team, so to speak, um, is really amazing. And also your job as a parent is really just to continue loving this kiddo because they may or may not decide to come out now. They may or may not decide to come out down the road. This path is the most beautiful path I've ever walked. And my life is great now. And there are times when it's like amazing and wonderful. And there are times where it's still really hard. And so just knowing that like this is all going to sort of ebb and flow, but being that one supportive person for that kiddo is, is can make an entire world of difference. So keep doing what you're doing, parent.
0: Yeah, I, I'll echo that absolutely. And just say like, it might be a tough journey figuring out the sport thing. Like it might be difficult and like finding ways for your trans kid to feel that joy that they get from the sport that they're in and figuring out like, you know, if their coach is not supportive, if their team is not supportive, like that sucks and holding space for that suckiness and also like figuring out other ways they can find that joy and maybe that's, you know, you learning soccer and playing like a little bit with them. It's it's finding like a, a trans support group of peers that, that are their age. And like, maybe some of them like sports too. And, and you know, that may not be true. Not all trans people like sports. Um, but, but there are lots of ways to like find and harness that joy that your kid feels about this specific interest. And if that has to be a loss, like that is a really, really hard loss and figuring out like, okay, like how can we shift and adapt because this world is not ready for trans kids in a lot of ways. So we have to adapt and we have to feel that awfulness, but also like rely on our resilience because we are an incredibly resilient people. Like I don't know. We're living, I'm living my best life right now. I think you two look like you're living your best life. <laughs> we are. Yes. <laughs> so like, there's so much joy. There's so much joy.
2: Yeah. And you don't have to do it alone, right? So mm. there's a really amazing organization called the Trans Family Support Services. Mm. And they are based in California, but they have uh, branches all over the country. And it is a group of support for families of trans kids. If you're the parent, if you're the trans kid, and they do a lot of work online. So wherever you happen to live, um, trans family support services can be super helpful. And then many states have statewide equality organizations. Look to see if your state has a statewide equality organization because they can help you figure out any of the policy stuff that's going on, if it's a school board issue or if it's a state policy, because it as Ann said, it varies by state. So really, it can be hard and we're going to have to be resilient, but you don't have to be resilient by yourself.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Uh, where can we find you on the internet if our listeners would like to look for y'all and your work?
2: So you can find changing the game at changing game doc on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook uh, changing You can find me on the internet, Shane diamond uh, at pants diamond on Instagram and Twitter or at Shane Z as in zebra diamond.com
0: also watch the documentary. It is incredible. And watch the documentary. Highly recommend. It's on Hulu. It's on
2: the Hulu. And this is a great plug. I can't believe I forgot that. We are partners with an organization called Frameline. Every year they select a documentary film as part of their Youth in Motion series. And this academic year, so we're about to end this academic year, they've chosen um, Changing the Game. So if you are a through K-12 student or part of a gender and sexuality alliance at your school, you can access changing the game for free, as well as an age appropriate toolkit to have conversations like the ones we're having right now with your peers and classmates. So that's, we'll send that to you Lynn so that I can go in the show notes, but yeah, um, totally. youth in motion. Beautiful. And watch the film on Hulu. Uh, yes.
0: And where can we find you?
1: Yes. Uh, you can find athlete ally at athlete ally across all social media. You can find me on Twitter at Anne, Anne, N E Leibs, L I E B S. And you can also find me on Instagram with a deeply, deeply Pittsburgh reference. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, (laughs) Um, at F O U R the number one and the word true T R U E. So still haven't, haven't had the heart to change my Instagram handle, but my Twitter is at Anne Leibs.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and sharing all of your incredible work. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having both of us. And
1: we really hope that this can be a continual conversation and that in a few years time, we can come back and talk about all the progress that's been made. I'm just going to put that energy out into the universe. Yes. All the training kids that are playing sports.
0: Yes. (laughs) Manifest that energy. There will be a part two and we will have some good news to share. It's going to be great. I love it. Thank you, Linz. Thank you so, so much for joining me for this conversation with Shane and Anne from Changing Game Documentary and Athlete Ally, both incredible resources of information. We've got links in the show notes for some of the things that we talked about throughout the conversation. So you can do some extracurricular digging on your own about trans kids and sports and the amazing work these two organizations are doing right now. As always, you can find me at Lynn's Amer on Twitter and Instagram and at Queer Mixter Rogers on TikTok if you're over there. You can find Queer Kid Stuff and all of our work at Queer Kid Stuff on Twitter and Instagram as well. Make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Lots and lots of golden nuggets in there that I really, really recommend you sign up for that. Don't forget to tell your friends about this show and bring them into the Rainbow Parenting community and the Queer kids Stuff community. For our Patreon members, we have a bonus episode with Shane and Anne. We talk about some of their favorite kids' media. If you're not already a patron, you can support this podcast by doing that and get all of our bonus episodes. Next week, I'll be talking to the inventor of gender reveal parties about what she regrets about inventing that thing. Uh, It's a very interesting conversation. So I am very excited to bring that to you next Monday. And that's all we got for you today. Stay safe out there, folks. Talk to you soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Lynns Eimer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzia.